Hello and welcome to DE Classified, a podcast showing the history of destroyer escorts. Each month, a member of Slater's education crew will highlight a specific destroyer escort and share the stories of the sailors who served aboard these trim but deadly ships. My name is Tyler, and I'm an intern aboard the USS Slater. Today, we are going to de-classify the USS Stafford. The namesake of Destroyer Escort 411 was Richard Yader Stafford. Born on December 11, 1916 in Windsor, Missouri, the son of Frederick and Minnie Stafford, Richard graduated from the University of Missouri with a degree in business and public administration in 1938. After college, Richard Stafford enlisted in the United States Marine Corps Reserves on October 19, 1940. At the age of 23, it was on February 20th, 1940 that Stafford accepted appointment as a second lieutenant at Quantico, Virginia, remaining there until the 29th of May, when he was restationed to Camp Elliott in San Diego, California. Stafford was stationed at Camp Elliott from June 16, 1941 until July of 1942, where he was promoted to first lieutenant on April 11th, 1942. After being stationed in San Diego, Stafford and the 2nd Marines deployed to the volcanic Coro Island off of Fiji on July 25th for the final rehearsal for the Guadalcanal landings which would take place August 7th, 1942. As commanding officer of C Company 1st Battalion 2nd Marines, Stafford was promoted to captain on September 12, 1942 after only just a month in the field. Captain Richard Stafford was posthumously awarded the Silver Star Medal. For heroic actions between October 9th and the 11th, Captain Stafford led his company of Marines on a forced march through the dense jungles and swamps of Guadalcanal. Upon arriving at his objective, Stafford realized the enemy position was stronger and much more reinforced than had been originally expected, and the ensuing firefight was very intense. Captain Stafford led his men in the assault and was killed by a Japanese rifleman. His citation reads, For his conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity as commanding officer, which constituted an inspiration to the men of his command in the fulfillment of an important mission. Now that you know the background of her namesake, let's talk about the USS Stafford's specifications. The USS Stafford, Destroyer Escort 411, was a John C. Butler-class destroyer escort. Construction began when her keel was laid down on November 29, 1943 in Houston, Texas, at Brown Shipbuilding Company. She was launched on January 11, 1944. Under the command of Lieutenant Commander Volney H. Craig Jr., United States Naval Reserve, she weighed 1,350 tons. She was 306 feet long and 36.8 feet wide at the beam, with a top speed of 24 knots. DE-411 had a complement of 201 enlisted sailors and 14 officers. The armaments aboard this vessel were numerous and consisted of two single 5-inch guns, two twin 40mm Bofors anti-aircraft weaponry, 
and 10 20mm Orlikin AA guns. Now along with the anti-aircraft weaponry, the Stafford also carried 1 triple 21 inch torpedo tubes, 8 depth charge racks, and anti-submarine projectiles known as hedgehogs. The Stafford's wartime service began upon the completion of fitting around the Galveston-Houston area. Stafford sailed alongside with the USS La Prade on May 7, 1944 for Bermuda to engage in her shakedown training. Her shakedown cruise was interrupted from May 17th through the 19th when the Stafford joined forces with the convoy Gus 38 and escorted the fleet oiler Merrimack AO-37 into the waters of Bermuda. The USS Stafford completed training in post-shakedown availability early June. It was on June 9, 1944 that the USS Stafford joined the Italian submarine Vortis off of Bermuda to escort that submarine north. Three days later, on June 12th, the USS Stafford was relieved by YMS-169, an auxiliary motor minesweeper, at the entrance of Casco Bay, Maine. After being relieved, the Stafford moored at Charleston, just outside of Boston, undergoing post-shakedown overhaul at the Boston Navy Yard from the 13th of June till the 22nd. The Stafford then headed south to moor at Norfolk, Virginia two days later. Then, on June 26, 1944, Stafford once again joined by the La Prade, now along with the USS Wasatch, the Mount McKinley-class amphibious force command ship, would sail along to create Task Unit 29.6.6 off of the Capes of Virginia to travel south along the Panama Canal. The three ships of the task unit ventured through Panama Canal on July 3rd and moored at Balboa in Panama City. Following Independence Day 1944, she reported to the Pacific Fleet for duty and sailed to San Diego. Following repairs at the destroyer repair base in San Diego, the Stafford was underway once again with the USS La Prade for Hawaii, reaching Pearl Harbor July 25th. For almost a month, the crew of the Stafford engaged in anti-submarine warfare training in the Hawaiian Islands. Several weeks later, on August 18th, the USS Stafford along with destroyer escort the USS Fiberling sailed out of Pearl Harbor escorting Task Unit 16.8.1 to the Marshall Islands, arriving at Kwajalein a week later. The Stafford would escort the SS Coast Skipper to Miyuro the following day, August 26th. Three days later, on August 29th, the Stafford joined the USS Diony, Destroyer Escort 261, in the screen of the escort carrier, the USS Thetis Bay, CVE-90. The three warships arrived at Pearl Harbor on September 3rd and the Stafford would operate out of Pearl Harbor for just under two months' time. During this period, the Stafford's crew would participate in more anti-submarine warfare training. On Halloween 1944, the Stafford departed Pearl Harbor after two months of anti-submarine warfare training and was appropriately assigned the task of finding and neutralizing a known enemy submarine threat, hindering the Pacific sea lanes. 
Over the next two weeks, the task group made several contacts, attacking the contacts with depth charges, but ultimately failed to locate and eliminate the enemy threat. However, on November 14th, the task group received word that a friendly task group had sunk their prey. Consequently, the USS Stafford was ordered back to Pearl Harbor once again, arriving November 19th of 1944. Five days later, the Stafford departed Pearl for Inuitok as part of Task Group 12.4, arriving December 2nd. It was then that the task group was redesignated Task Group 30.6. The following day, the task groups continued west, stopping at Ulidi on the night of December 7th and 8th and Saipan on the 10th and the 11th. By December 17th, she had reached the Causal Passage in the Paulus. The task group made an anti-submarine sweep 60 miles in the radius around Peleliu before heading to Ulithi, arriving on December 22nd. Six days later, on December 28th, the task group once again redesignated 77.4.13 returned to Pallas the following day. On New Year's Day 1945, the USS Stafford sailed with Task Force 77 from the Castle Roads towards Luzon. Sailing south from the Leyte Gulf through the Surigao Strait, then traversing the northwestern course off Mindanao. Although air alerts were called from the second day out, the Australian ship HMAS Australia reported an unidentified plane splashing, quote, close aboard, unquote. Kamikaze attacks did not successfully crash into a ship until late on January 4th, when a kamikaze struck the escort carrier Omani Bay, CVE-79. The escort carrier would have to be scuttled by friendly American torpedoes. However, by January 5th, 1945, the Japanese had determined that Task Force 77 was headed for Lingayen, further intensifying air attacks. Later that afternoon, Task Force 77 came under intensely fierce kamikaze attacks. At 5.47 in the afternoon, eight Japanese aircraft, most likely Mitsubishi A6M Zeros, came in low and out of the sun. The Stafford, the Destroyer Escort Ghost, and the Yolvert M. Moore, captained by Lieutenant Commander Franklin D. Roosevelt Jr., were screening escort carrier Tulagi. CVE-52, when the three DEs ordered their anti-aircraft batteries to open fire at all targets, at the range of approximately 8,000 yards away. At this time, four enemy fighters peeled off to the right. The remaining four enemy aircraft bore down, aiming for the bow of the vessel. The deck log of the USS Stafford states, quote, our A-8 fire splashed one plane at about 1,500 yards on the port bow. Shortly thereafter, a second plane was hit. This plane continued about 500 yards across our port bow and then made a sharp right turn and headed for the bridge of this ship. Being unable to gain altitude, this plane made a deliberate, in parentheses, suicide crash into the hull of this ship. Starboard side about frame 96. At this point, another of the attacking planes was splashed by our AA fire at about a point of 1,500 yards on the starboard bow. 
The fourth plane of the group was reported by lookouts to have crashed into the HMAS Australia. Speed of the Stafford began to decrease immediately. The number two fire room was flooded immediately and the second engine room was flooded soon thereafter. The crashed Japanese aircraft had made a large hole in the hull in the vicinity of the distilling plant. The forward bulkhead to the number two engine room was also penetrated, causing that place to flood, but more slowly. At this point, preparations were made to abandon ship in the case that flooding could not be controlled. All classified communication material was ordered to be destroyed. Destroyer escorts USS Halligan and the USS Olford M. Moore stood by to take off survivors. The USS Halligan would take aboard 55 men and 3 officers. It was decided though that the flooding could in fact be checked and an attempt would be made to save the ship. Keeping on board only a nucleus crew. A tow was requested, and all of her topside depth charges, K-guns, and loading machines were to be jettisoned to maintain stability of the floundering vessel. The USS Halligan dispatched a rescue and repair party to assist the vessel remain afloat. The battered vessel then accompanied the USS Talbot to Lingayen Gulf, arriving January 10th. The 54 men and 3 officers one of these men succumbing to his wounds aboard the Halligan, were returned to their original ship. Even though serious doubt about the ship's condition was beginning to prevail amongst the crew. Following the transfer of personnel, an alert was sounded as a lookout spotted three Japanese attack planes. One plane, identified as a Japanese Nakajima B-5N, was shot down and the other planes were splashed into the harbor. On January 11th, as the Stafford regrouped with other vessels, forming a slow-moving convoy, the Stafford managed to escape heavy attack by enemy aircraft once again. The Stafford arrived in Leyte January 16th, hindered by a critical supply of fresh water. The Stafford was instructed to sail for Manus for temporary repairs. She soon got underway for Pearl Harbor, and now operating independently, she departed Pearl for Mare Island Dry Dock in California, arriving March 4, 1945. Repairs, trials, and replacements were fitted and completed on May 6th. The USS Stafford once again sailed the Golden Coast destined for Pearl Harbor. Due to the damage received on January 5th, the Stafford lost some of her speed and maneuverability. To counteract this fault, her torpedo tubes were replaced with two quad 40mm Bofors guns. The war was not yet over for this battle-hardened vessel, and on May 24th, the Stafford performed escort duty at Eniwetok in the Marshall Islands, and she proceeded to Ulithi in the Carolines to join Task Unit 94.6.2 en route to the ill-fated invasion of Okinawa in the Ryukyu Islands. On June 20th of 1945, Lieutenant Commander Volney H. Craig Jr. was relieved of his duty as ship captain by Lieutenant Commander DeWitt McDougal Patterson. During her duty off of Okinawa, the Stafford engaged in anti-submarine patrols up and down a 7,000-foot stretch of water, nine miles off the Okinawan shore. She joined a hunter-killer group with the destroyer escorts USS Finnegan and the USS Daniel T. Griffin, APD-38. 
While traversing the water with the hunter-killer group, the vessels came under steady fire from enemy aircraft. The destroyer escort nearly took more damage on July 27th when she was a target of a Japanese torpedo than Mr. Fantail by a slim margin of 15 yards. The following day in the Stafford's radio shack, a naval dispatch read, quote, Last night's experience indicate, A. Japanese is coming in and low hard. B. Only the utmost vigilance in all respects and in all lookout departments can keep him off our necks. C. More and faster shooting is in order. D. Okinawa is still in the war. Unquote. During the month of August, Mother Nature put the conflict on pause through a series of devastating typhoons that damaged a number of U.S. ships and killed over a thousand Navy personnel at Buckner Bay on the southern coast of the Okinawa Island. Following the Japanese surrender on August 15, 1945, the Stafford was still on anti-submarine patrol. Believing the Stafford's sonar to have contact with an enemy submarine threat, dropping five depth charges as a result. A Stafford search party also found the remains of the wreckage of the destroyer USS Twiggs, which had been missing since the early hours of the Okinawan campaign. During September and October of 1945, the USS Stafford was an escort to hospital ships in the transport of Allied prisoners of war from Japan to Okinawa. Taking the Stafford to seaports such as Sasebo and Nagasaki less than a month after the devastating atomic bomb attack. After the Japanese surrender, the Stafford needed to remain vigilant on constant alert for enemy mines in Japanese waters. In one day alone, the USS Stafford destroyed nine mines. And then, on October 28th, the Stafford continued to Wakayama to pick up mail and crew, and two days later was en route to the harbor at Yokosuka which was crowded with ships including the USS New Jersey near a fallen Japanese battleship. As the Stafford passed the two ships, the skipper of the Stafford snidely remarked, quote, Take a good look at the Japanese battle wagon, then look at the New Jersey, and you can easily see who won the war. After a brief period of liberty in Tokyo on November 3rd, the Stafford once again got underway for Pearl Harbor, then proceeded to San Pedro Bay, California. Arriving stateside, the Stafford was ordered to San Francisco for plane guard duty for the escort carrier USS Corregidor, CV-58. The war ended for this beautifully battered destroyer escort on December 12, 1945, when she unceremoniously unloaded her ammunition at the Naval Ammunition Depot at Seal Beach, California. The USS Stafford, Destroyer Escort 411, was decommissioned May 16, 1946. In the report of war damage, the chief of the Bureau of Ships stated, quote, The offensive fighting efficiency of the ship after damage was negligible. Defensively, all armament was operative at least in local control. The lack of speed and maneuverability due to the flooding and to the loss of half the engine plant was the most serious result of that affected the fighting efficiency. The engineering plant was being operated split, and no failures or interruptions occurred in either propulsion or auxiliary services from the forward plant. The ship survived after action winds of 30 to 40 knots, rough seas, and moderate short swells, although under these conditions, speed was reduced to 4 to 5 knots." Unquote. 
From the large amount of shrapnel and blast damage, and from the metal fragments collected, it is believed that the enemy aircraft was carrying a bomb which exploded with a low-order detonation on impact and was centered at about frame 95 starboard and to the waterline of Destroyer Escort 411. Once again, quoting from the report of war damage, quote, The impact ripped a rectangular hole into the hull about 16 feet wide and 12 feet deep. The indentation extended from bulkhead 86 through frame 105, a distance of 33 feet from the main dock to the bilge keel, unquote. Now, quoting the after-action report, quote, It is believed that this ship was selected as a suicide target because of the extremely heavy and effective fire being developed of the three guns, it is considered that the 40mm is the most effective. In order to defeat suicide attacks, it is necessary to completely destroy the attacking plane at a considerable distance from the ship. Moderate damage and killing the pilot do not appear sufficient. For this reason, the 20mm gun is of little to no value." Unquote. In an after-action report from the protected escort carrier Tulagi, CVE-72, it states, quote, too much credit cannot be given to the determination and zeal of the commanding officer, Volney H. Craig Jr., and the crew of the USS Stafford in having their ship to fight future battles. The commanding officer is deserving of the highest commendation, and in separate correspondence, he is being recommended for an appropriate reward. Now, I would be doing my listeners a disservice by not mentioning that aboard the USS Slater, we have a variety of artifacts from the USS Stafford including fragments from the January 5th kamikaze attack down in our collection space, along with other artifacts that allow us to keep the history of these trim but deadly ships alive. Thank you all for listening to DE Classified. This podcast is brought to you by the Destroyer Escort Historical Museum aboard the USS Slater. You can find a transcript of this episode, accompanying photos, and bibliography at ussslater.org slash declassified. My name is Tyler, and we'll see you next month when we declassify the unparalleled story of the USS Kirk.